This week, Garrett Motion gets interim dip approval, JCP secures another four months of exclusivity, 24-hour fitness files first plan, disclosure statement, and as always, updates from Puerto Rico. Hello, and welcome to the Reorg Podcast, where we bring you the latest top developments in high yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy. I'm Connor Skelding. And I'm Raksha Manjanath. Later, our head of covenants, Peter Washkowitz, will give us an update on Serta Simmons' super priority exchange. It's Sunday, October 11th. At a hearing on Tuesday, Judge Michael Wiles granted interim approval of the Garrett Motion Debtors' proposed $250 million dip facility from term lenders after Honeywell International and a group of shareholders withdrew their objections to interim relief, though Honeywell has reserved the right to object to final approval. In order to secure the shareholders' consent, the debtors agreed, quote, to work cooperatively with shareholders on a path forward for these cases that is not limited by a sale of the debtors' business. Andrew Diederich of Sullivan and Cromwell, counsel to the debtors, promised Judge Wiles at the hearing that the debtors would remain, quote, open for business regarding any alternative financing proposals, including the junior dip offer from Oak Tree and Centerbridge. Dennis Dunn of Millbank, counsel for Oak Tree and Centerbridge, welcomed this concession, adding that the payment of various fees upon interim approval would, quote, raise the bar for any competing dip bids. Dunn worried that it would not be enough for Oak Tree and Centerbridge to, quote, compete on pure prices, covenants, and terms, because any competing offer must now also top those fees. Dunn also said that his clients have, quote, encountered persistent non-engagement from the debtors on the substantive terms of their junior dip offer, quote, what has lacked in this process, Dunn continued, is a substantive back and forth. Judge David Jones approved on Tuesday the JCPenney debtor's request for an additional four months of plans filing and solicitation exclusivity to Jan 10th, 2021 and March 11th, respectively. The court also approved a stipulation between the debtors and the Ad Hoc Equity Committee resolving the Ad Hoc Group's motion for recognition as an official committee. Back in court on Wednesday, the court also approved the debtor's proposed confirmation timeline, featuring a November 2nd sale hearing and a November 24th confirmation hearing. The confirmation timeline was approved over the objection of the Aiken Gump represented ad hoc minority first lien group. The motion stated that the group is working to offer the debtors, quote, a cash bid solely for PropCo and at an implied enterprise value far in excess of the value implied by the credit bid. The group took issue with the debtor's, quote, unnecessarily expedited proposed schedule, but also used the objection and appearance at Wednesday's hearing to preview concerns with the substance of the proposed dip and first lien claims credit bid. Counsel clarified at Wednesday's hearing that, quote, nobody wants to see this company liquidate, and the minority group supports the closing of the OPCO sale to Simon Brookfield while scrutinizing the PropCo element of the transactions further. Debtors' counsel suggested to the court that the minority group's objection is, quote, merely an intercreditor allocation issue. The week saw mixed news from the hard-hit leisure industry. Carnival Corporation, in a business update on Thursday morning, reported a total of $8.2 billion of cash and cash equivalents as of August 31st. It also said that it subsequently raised net proceeds of $352 million in an at-the-market share offering and borrowed $610 million from an export credit facility in September. Carnival said it expects its monthly average cash burn rate for the fourth quarter of 2020 to be about $530 million. The company also expressed confidence that sailings would resume before the end of the year. 
Earlier in the week, Carnival canceled voyages for three of its cruise ships into spring 2021, however, saying that it was taking, quote, proactive action to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic as new cases increase around the globe in recent weeks. On the other hand, AMC Entertainment announced on Tuesday that it plans to keep open all of its theaters that have been reopened since the COVID-19 pandemic lockdowns first were brought down. The company made that announcement in response to news that Cineworld plans to temporarily suspend operations of all of its 663 theaters in the United States and the United Kingdom. Cineworld in September had said that it was in discussions with lenders regarding the possibility of a December 31st covenant waiver for its revolving credit facility. Reorg learned that Cineworld is working with PJT as financial advisor and Kirkland as legal advisor. The 24-hour fitness debtors on Wednesday filed their first plan of reorganization and disclosure statement arising out of a new restructuring support agreement reached with holders of approximately 79% of aggregate outstanding principal amount of dip claims, 73% of the aggregate outstanding principal amount of pre-petition credit facility claims, and 65% of the aggregate outstanding principal amount of senior note claims. The plan would give 95% of common equity to dip lenders and contemplates a backstopped $65 million new money rights offering for eligible holders of allowed dip claims. The plan also calls for a $200 million term loan exit facility to be issued to the dip lenders. Class 3 pre-petition credit facility claims are impaired and slated to receive 5% of reorganized equity subject to dilution. The RSA provides for the possibility of a sale of all or substantially all of the debtor's assets with the debtors engaging in a post-petition marketing process. The debtors may elect to pursue such sale in the event that the post-petition marketing process results in a bid or bids that prove higher value than the restructuring transaction contemplated by the plan. Stressing that Puerto Rico's bankruptcy quote cannot go on forever, the PSA creditors on Tuesday filed a motion urging the Title III court to impose case deadlines for the PROMISA Oversight Board to put forth and prosecute a plan of adjustment. The PSA creditors, consisting of the ad hoc group of constitutional debt holders, the ad hoc group of general obligation bondholders, the Lawful Constitutional Debt Coalition, and the QTBC noteholder group say that the Title III Court has the discretion and authority to impose deadlines on the Oversight Board to file a plan and assert that if the Oversight Board is, quote, unwilling or unable to move forward, the court should dismiss the Title III cases under Section 930 of the Bankruptcy Code. On Thursday evening, the PROMISA Oversight Board announced that Judge Arthur Gonzalez would step down effective immediately after more than four years on the board as an original member. This followed President Donald Trump's Wednesday announcement of his intention to appoint Justin Peterson to the PROMISA Oversight Board. The selection of Peterson, DCI Group's managing director and a former advisor to general obligation bondholders, caught several parties in Puerto Rico's restructuring process by surprise. The move is being championed by some creditors who said they expect Peterson to push for, quote, greater transparency and accountability from the O-Board. However, Peterson's work on behalf of creditor groups has sparked criticism from some local politicians. And in a notice filed with the municipal bond market on Thursday, the Puerto Rico Aqueduct and Sewer Authority, or PRASA, and the Puerto Rico Fiscal Agency and Financial Advisory Authority, or AFAF, said that they are evaluating a potential issuance by PRASA of revenue refunding bonds. The 2020 Series A senior lien bonds would be used, quote, 
among other things, to refund and defease all or a portion of the process outstanding Series A and Series B senior lien bonds dated March 18, 2008, and Series 2012A and Series 2012B senior lien bonds dated February 29, 2012. The process will be undertaken through a syndicate led by Barclays. The size, timing, and structure of the proposed transaction are subject to market conditions, according to the notice. The transaction is also subject to the approval of the PRASA and FOF boards of directors and the PROMISA oversight board. The outstanding bonds total about $3.2 billion. Other top stories last week were Ruby Tuesday files Chapter 11 in Delaware, Transocean announces alleged default of 7 quarter 2025 senior notes, and Intelsat convertible note holder shareholder Cyrus Capital argues $4.87 billion C-band clearing payments belong to parent co Intelsat SA in letter to company. Next, here's Jim with the week ahead. Well, thank you, Roxanne. Good morning, folks. Deep from the Piney Woods of East Texas, Monday, October 12th is a federal holiday, of course, designated as such by Franklin D. Roosevelt back in 1937. So there's nothing on the court calendar for that day, much like the maps of the Western Oceans back in 1492. Tuesday, October 13th, however, we make up for lost time with hearings in Fieldwood and Hertz and Verity, oral, oral arguments in PG&E and a combined confirmation and DS hearing in California Resources. Wednesday, October 14th, motion to dismiss hearing in Sanchez, omnibus hearing in Briggs and Stratton, status conference in JCPenney and a hearing in Chesapeake. Thursday, October 15th, we all know what the 15th of the month means, so we have numerous coupons due with five alone from Malincrote on 23 and 25 maturities and Ferrogas with $35 million due on their first lien notes. There is also a sale hearing in Global Eagle, omnibus hearing in Asena, and hearings in Gavilon and Chesapeake. And Friday, October 16th, closing arguments in Southland and a motion hearing on Dean Foods. And that would seem to be it for now. Limits of the known as it were. Thank you for listening and back to y'all in New York. And now we have Peter with our deep dive on Serta Simmons Super Priority Exchange. So I'm here with Peter Washkowitz, head of Covenants, and he's going to talk today about Serta transactions, which is a, uh, a new, newly coined uh, type of transaction. It basically uh, splits up um, lenders and um, adjusts sort of rankings, um, I guess is the, uh, the layman's way to, uh, to put it. But Peter's going to go more into detail on this. So Peter, why don't you tell us about what Serta uh, CERTA did and what a CERTA transaction is. Um, yeah, hey, Mark. So um, essentially uh, what happened in CERTA was that uh, the company took advantage of the fact that um, in CERTA's debt documents and in pretty much, I'd say like 95% of debt documents, um, the list of amendments that were, so, so amendment uh, provisions in credit agreements are structured as, as, you know, the company and a majority of lenders can amend anything in the agreement except for, you know, A, B, C, and D, which require all lender consent. Um, now, in CERTA's agreement, and which is, and as is typical in most agreements, there is no explicit reference to um, amendments that subordinate lenders' liens. And so what that means is that um, if it's not listed as requiring all lenders to consent, then the company can just amend it with a majority of lenders uh, consenting. So what sort of did is it got together with the majority of its lenders. Um, it agreed to amend the agreement to provide the company with some super priority debt capacity. And the company used that capacity 
to then, um, and then it also took advantage of the fact that it was allowed to do open market purchases of the term loans, and it incurred the super senior debt and exchanged uh, the the majority lenders of uh, the first lien and some second lien lenders up into that super priority debt. So essentially, the um, non participating first lien lenders effectively became you know second lien lenders behind the super priority tranche. Great and. Other companies have actually tried to do this as well, right? Uh, there's a, a list, uh, a few of them you wrote about and some others that you're in the process of writing about or um, you have some other articles on, right? Yeah, so uh, so we have heard that Trimark and board riders have already done this. And I mean, it seems like it's almost become, the sort of transaction has almost become like the default uh, for companies that are looking to kind of improve their balance sheet, uh, reduce debt, get some more liquidity. Um, a lot of the journalists at Reorg, they, they've heard that a number of other companies um, are looking to do a sort of type transaction. And it really makes sense. It's a, it's a very simple transaction to do, um, you know, as opposed to an unrestricted subsidiary transfer where you are getting rid of collateral um, and transferring it to unrestricted sub. You know, here, just the collateral all remains the same. Everything remains the same. It just there's a new tranche of debt secured by the same collateral that is ahead of everyone else. So, yeah, we've heard of a number of other companies that have that are either thinking about doing it, trying to do it. Um, but we have also heard. So we 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 have also heard of. Um, yesterday we put out an article on uh, this company, J Jill. It's a fairly small uh, retail company, and um, what they did is so they they ended up doing a sort of transaction too, but as part of the amendment to their initial credit agreement. And I'm sorry to laugh. It just it's it's a very funny uh, thing that they did. Um, they so uh, J Jill's term loan agreement actually had um, as an amendment that required all lenders to consent um, any amendments that affect the the priority of, of of lenders' liens, and you know if that is in there and and that requires all lenders to consent, pretty much you know you can't do a sort of transaction. So what happened in in JGL, and this is an executed agreement, so this was done. Um, the lenders and the borrower just up and uh, amended the amendment section. Um, so now what the credit agreement says is that um, amendments that change the payment priority um, of, of lenders' debt um, requires all lenders to consent. So what left unsaid is that, um, you know, because it makes a distinction between payment and lien priority, um, that essentially will allow the company to amend uh, the agreement to give, you know, for new super priority debt. Problem with that is that, um, and I'm sorry to keep using this word, amendments, but amendments to the amendment section require all lenders to consent. So, and and this was, and, and J. Jill's amendment was not uh, consented to by all lenders. So they, they, they did something which is in violation of the agreement, but it doesn't seem like anyone has pushed back. Um, now, the thing is, there's only like a stub piece of the, of the old first lien uh, tranche left. I believe it's like five or ten million dollars. So it's not significant, but um, it's in clear violation of the credit agreement. You can't just up and amend the lender threshold for amendments without getting all lenders to consent. So that is kind of an offshoot of CERTA, which, you know, the result is they, they, they consummated a CERTA transaction, but we, we don't think it's actually allowed 
because to to enable them to have done that, they amended the amendment section without all lenders to consent. So is it always as straightforward then as looking at the amendment section and seeing the uh, the voter threshold uh, to figure out if transactions like these are allowed, or are there a number of um, of other ways around this that uh, poten- uh, that potentially companies and lenders that want to do these transactions uh, could use? So I go back. You mentioned in the beginning that Serta is now the um, the name for these types of transactions. It makes me think of like the J. Crew standard transaction, right? About you know moving um, restricted assets around. So. And in, in there, when you analyze it, there are about you know three or four different sections of the credit agreement that you had to look at and keep checking the box here. Are there what what are the different things that lenders should be wary of um, when they're seeing if this is something that uh, companies and uh, and other lenders could take advantage of? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, so so to answer, so uh, you know, a quick answer is yes. There there are a few things that that you need to check and. If uh, you know, and if they're not there, you can't do it. It, it, it. And that's why I said it's pretty straightforward. So first, you you go to the amendment section, and if it explicitly says that amendments uh, that change the priority of lenders' liens uh, requires all lenders to consent, then that right there will that will completely prohibit a certain transaction. You can't uh, you can't do it without all lenders to consent. And you know, to do these up tier exchanges. Um, the you know, no lenders you know if all lenders are going to be offered it no lenders going to accept it the only reason sort of worked is because um, you know it was a majority lender consent and they were going to be treated better than the minority uh, term loan lenders so um, so that is the first place you look if if it explicitly says lien subordination requires all lenders to consent um, you know for sure you can't do it but um, and again ninety five percent of loans will not have that so. Once you go there and you see that uh, lien subordination amendments can be done with majority consent, the next place you go is to the assignment section, um, and you see if the company is able to purchase the term loans on a non-pro rata basis through open market purchases. Um, Usually, uh, it's as simple as kind of doing a control F for uh, open market, and um, it generally will take you to the assignment section, um, and if it explicitly says... Uh, you know, non pro rata open market purchases are permitted, then that combined with, uh, 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 you know, amendments, uh, lien subordination amendments uh, requiring majority consent, that will enable you to, to you know, cleanly do a sort of transaction. Um, I won't get into the technicals of this next thing, but to the extent a borrower is not allowed to do um, non pro rata open market purchases, if the credit agreement allows for the pro rata sharing provisions to be amended with uh, a majority of lender consent, you can kind of do a you can kind of structure a transaction the same way as CERTA. But what you would need to do is you would incur this uh, the the priority debt, and then you would amend the pro rata uh, pro rata sharing provisions uh, to allow you to use the proceeds of the super priority debt to make a voluntary prepayment of the majority of the majority lenders who've consented to the transaction. Um, but so if, if, um, if you do have lien subordination, but you do not have open market purchases and you cannot amend the pro rata sharing provisions without all lenders to consent, you also cannot do the sort of transaction. Um, it, it sounds a little complicated. It's not, 
it, it, it's just more complicated to explain than kind of walking through a document. But, you know, we've been helping some subscribers kind of looking through their agreements uh, to let them know if, if, if the sort of transaction can, can occur. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really useful um, service uh, that, we're, that we're providing because, again, it's not, it's not an intuitive transaction. It's not intuitive finding out where, uh, where in the document uh, you need to look to see if it, if it allows it. But it, it becomes fairly, uh, fairly simplistic once you know what you're looking for. Very nice plug, Peter. So please call your salespeople if you are listening, um, and Peter will go through those documents for you. Um, so if switching over to the, the bonds, just the last place to look here, uh, the bonds are really not going to prohibit anything like this, right? Because all you're, you're not moving collateral around. Like you said, you're just sort of taking, um, taking the lenders, splitting them up and changing priority, right? So there, there's nothing in bonds that you need to look out for, right? Uh, well, for unsecured bonds, yeah, that, that's exactly right. They don't care. Um, usually with second lien bonds, you probably not, and second lien loans, actually, for that matter, you, you don't really care either because um, you know, as an unsecured or second lien holder, you've agreed to allow X dollars of debt to be ahead of you. You don't really care if it's split between one and a half and first lien, first lien super priority. You just, uh, you know, you just care if uh, more than what you've agreed to, it, it, an amount of debt is ahead of you. So you might need lend, uh, bondholders to consent if you need more debt capacity but here, it's not like they, you really need more debt capacity because you're, you're effectively just refinancing uh, with super priority liens. So, yeah, but first lien, uh, first lien bonds, th that probably, you know, you have to run through the kind of a similar exercise as you do for, for loans, although open market purchases of bonds is always permitted. So you just kind of need to go to the amendment section and see if it says anything about lien subordination Usually in bonds, it either doesn't say or it requires 66 and two-thirds percent, um, which – so 66 and two-thirds is a higher threshold than majority, but, you know, you could – almost assuredly, you could, probably, you could probably still do a sort of transaction under first lien bonds. You just may need to involve more, more note holders. But, yeah, I mean, uh, unsecured and, 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 and second lien, you don't really need to look at. Great. Thanks, Peter. This is this has been great. Um, and uh, we'll all look out for uh, those CERTA loans and uh, certainly give you a call uh, to make sure that our uh, credit agreements don't include the opportunity to do that. Uh, so thank you. Um, thank you again. And uh, we'll speak to you the next time. All right. Take care. Thanks. Thanks, Peter. And thank you, listener, for tuning into another Reorg Weekly Review. As always, you can find our podcasts on the reorg.com website. Just go to the media page or look us up on iTunes and SoundCloud. As always, we hope you and your families are healthy and safe, and we will see you in a week.